I'm Pastor Ryan. If you don't know, I'm the lead pastor at the Bridge Goldsboro. A little hop, skip, and a jump from here. Uh, and uh, if, if maybe this is your first time here today and you're going, wow, what are you even talking about? Or maybe you've, you've come last week and you're like, why are you here and not Pastor Allen? Pastor Allen Peacock is the location lead pastor here. And we are in a series called Felt Board Faith. And maybe you remember uh, this series. We actually did the same series title last year. Uh, and it was well-known stories, stories like David and Goliath and Jonah and the big fish. Some of you are mad because I didn't say whale, but the Bible doesn't say it was a whale, it was a big fish. And uh, this year we decided to do some of those same stories, but kind of take it from a different angle, a little more obscure stories, stories that, for whatever reason, don't get talked about uh, as publicly, stories like St. Peter and the Temple of Doom. That's not in there. I was just seeing if you were paying attention some of you are like, yeah, I've read that one. Wait a minute. No, I haven't. So Pastor Allen is in Goldsboro today. And the cool thing about this series is we're all rotating the locations. And so it gives us a chance to see some of you guys and maybe meet some uh, new faces. And also gives you guys a chance to see the different lead pastors at uh, the different locations. Uh, if you didn't know, we are one church with four different locations. And so it's just a blessing to be a part of an organization, of a church like this. Um, and, and also just a blessing to be here uh, with you guys today. Um, and so I, as we jump into this series, um, you may be wondering, well, what, what uh, story are you going to be telling today? Because I've heard some doozies from the other lead pastors. And uh, the story I'm going to be talking about today is about a man named, ready for this, Jeroboam. Say Jeroboam. Just lock it into your head, Jeroboam. Jeroboam, it's interesting about Jeroboam. His story is found in the Old Testament, but the interesting thing about Jeroboam is, is he was blessed. And we're going to be talking about the blessings that God poured into Jeroboam's life, and more specifically, what Jeroboam did with those blessings. Jeroboam was a man who God blessed tremendously. In fact, God blessed him so much in his particular context and the way that God blessed him. It was, it was the first time Israel, the nation, had ever seen anything uh, like this. But something happened to Jeroboam whenever God began to bless him. Jeroboam misplaced the blessings of God. He misplaced the blessings of God. Now, that's, that's my phrase, but when we misplace the blessings of God, it's when we begin to make decisions in our lives or we begin to think uh, in such a way that doesn't line up, that isn't, isn't uh, walking worthy of the blessings that we've been given by God. Turn to somebody and say, this just got real deep, real fast. So he's, he's a guest pastor, and he's coming and trying to step on our toes. Right, let me make you a promise. I am an equal opportunity offender, and I will offend myself and step on my own toes long before I ever give myself permission to do it to anybody else. Somebody say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So if I'm preaching to you, I'm, I'm, I've already preached it to me. Let me ask you this question. How important is it that we treat the blessings of God well? How important is it that we treat the blessings that God pours into our lives well? Because the fact is, is that God is going to bless us. And we get to be stewards of those blessings and treat them. He, but, but he's going to bless us. Some people are going, well, maybe God hasn't blessed me that much, or maybe, you know, I, I don't feel that blessed. Let me just read something to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. You may have heard this verse before. This is Paul talking to the church. He says, For I am sure 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Do you think he covered everything? He said, there is nothing that will be able to separate us from the love, say love, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying nothing can separate you from the love of God by which every single blessing in your life comes. Did you know that it's because of the love of Jesus in, uh, from God in Christ Jesus that you are blessed? Every one of God's promises that are in the Scriptures, over 2,000 of them, apply to you because Jesus came and connected you back to God the Father and made you worthy. Somebody say amen. Lots of heads moving. I'm, I'm certainly grateful for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And it's because of the love of Christ. And the Bible says nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing can separate you from God's blessings. But what I've come to understand in my short few years on this earth is that we can misplace his blessings in our lives. And so if we're not careful, we, we can live in ways that don't line up with God's faithfulness in our lives. Paul said it in another place in the New Testament. He said, walk worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, we're called by God. Why? Because Christ makes us worthy to, to work in God's presence and his kingdom and actually make a difference. And he's saying, walk worthy of that. There is, there is a sort of walk that I'm supposed to walk in life and the, my thoughts are supposed to line up with what God has called me to do. Line up with what he's given me. Line up with the blessings that he's poured into my life. So how important is it that we treat the blessings of God well? Well, it's really important. It's really important. And so today, I want to talk about this man named Jeroboam. Say it again, Jeroboam. And I want to share a couple of ways that we can make sure that we not only receive God's blessings, but we handle them well and, and don't misplace them in our lives. So let's dig into Jeroboam. His story is found in 1 Kings in the Old Testament. And Jeroboam was a man that stood out. He stood out among his peers. He did his work extremely well. Everybody noticed him. But maybe more importantly, Jeroboam did his work so well that he stood out to the king. This is King Solomon. And this is really where it starts for Jeroboam. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 28, let's look at what, what it says. It says, Jeroboam was a man of standing. And when Solomon, the king, when he saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. Now, just a little context, a few chapters back, the labor force was about 150,000 people strong. And they were building Solomon's temple, the first temple that they built uh, for God in, in Israel. And so th this was a huge undertaking. And he stands out, Jeroboam, so well that he gets this massive promotion to lead a good part of that of that workforce. Would you say that's a blessing, that promotion? Yes, it was a bit. How many of you would love to just go into work tomorrow and your boss say, hey, let me just talk to you for a second. There's a promotion coming for you. What, what, what? No, that's okay. You can go ahead and give it. No, thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you, God, for that promotion. It is, it's a blessing. But the interesting thing about this blessing and God's blessings in your life is he wasn't done with Jeroboam just yet. In fact, when a lot of the times when we think God is done blessing us, he's just getting started. One day, Jeroboam's walking down the road uh, out in the country. He's by himself. He's got this promotion, and this prophet walks up to him. Now, a prophet was a man that spoke on God's behalf uh, in the Old Testament, and he walks up to Jeroboam, and he takes this new coat, and he rips it into 12 different pieces. Now, any other day, we'd go, man, this guy's nuts. We need to get him back to the local hospital but he comes up and he rips this coat into 12 pieces. Now, Israel was divided into 12 tribes. 
And this man of God takes these 12 pieces and he tells Jeroboam, I want you to take 10 of these of these pieces. And it was it was symbolic. And what he was saying is God is getting ready to rip the kingdom out of Solomon's hands because of his sin. And he is going to give you 10 of the 12 tribes and make you king over them. This is this is a huge, huge, huge deal. Look at what God tells him in verse 37. He says, however, as for you, he's talking to Jeroboam, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires and you will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and my commands as my servant did David, then I will be with you. I will build you as a dynasty as enduring as the one that I built for David and I will give Israel to you. Man, what a promise. This was a huge promise. And I just want you to understand something. The covenant that God made with David is huge. I mean, it, it went all the way down to Jesus. And by the way, Jesus was from the line of David, did you know? And his kingdom is still reigning and will reign forever and ever and ever. And he makes this same covenant, uh, not as permanent as what we have with Jesus, but this same sort of covenant with him. He says, if you do these things, I will, and, and I'll build you a dynasty as, as enduring as, as the one for David. That, is that a blessing? But let's just be honest with ourselves. Some of us would have been satisfied with the promotion. Isn't it interesting in our lives when God begins to bless us, we think, man, God, if you never did another thing for me. And I think our hearts are right whenever we do that. Man, God, we just want to thank you for all that, that, that you've done. And I'm just satisfied, Lord, if you never do another thing. Do you know that, that the love of God, by the way, that you'll never be separated from lasts forever? And as long as you're breathing air on earth, God intends to bless you. He desires to bless you. It's not just something that he does. Things aren't just something that he gives. The blessings of God and his desire to bless you is, is who he is. It's part of his nature. And just when we think that God can't bless us anymore or that we don't deserve anything else, God is just getting started in your life. Somebody turn to somebody and say, God wants to bless me. Come on, say it loud like you mean it. God wants to bless me. Come on, there's some of you that are a little hesitant right now because you're exactly what I'm saying. You've been blessed. Maybe you don't feel worthy of it. And you're, yeah, God, may, he might want to bless me. He, you know, I don't know about, God wants to bless me. Maybe you get a little louder when you turn to the next person and say, God wants to bless you. Go on and tell somebody else God wants to bless you. See, You see how loud that was? We want to tell somebody else God wants to bless you, but we don't want to say that God wants to bless me. We, we're, so, we're so happy telling our friends how, how much joy God can give them, but we go home at night and we doubt that God wants to give us that same joy. We doubt that God wants to give us the same peace as Christians that we are confident that God can give somebody else. Nothing can separate you from the love of, of God that is in Christ Jesus. And he intends to bless you. And Jeroboam, he didn't stop with the promotion. He, he decided, I'm, I'm going to make this guy king over Israel. But I don't want you to miss something that he told him. He says, if you do whatever I command and walk in obedience to me, I will be with you. He said, if you, say if you, then say I will. He says, if you, then I will. God makes this wonderful promise. And he says, if you turn your heart towards me, if you walk in my ways, if, if you don't turn from, from the center, go left or go right, but if you stay with me down that narrow path, he said, then I will be with you. Man, when you do that, God, God begins to bless you, and you can't shake his blessings off. But there's a premise to the promise, isn't there? If you do these things, then I will. 
And God makes this wonderful promise to Jeroboam. And you know the very next thing that happens? Now we, we could all sort of guess. We're like, man, well, it was God. If you, I will. He walked his way. Of course, what happened? He moved into the kingdom. Moved into the palace. Solomon took him under his wing. And then, you know, he sort of did this secession process. And then after a while, he handed the keys to the kingdom to Jeroboam and said, man, God be with you. God certainly said these things. Because everything God says and every promise God makes, it's smooth sailing after that, right? Some of you are starting to realize Pastor Ryan's being a little facetious. It's confusing. What's going on here? Now, the very next verse says that Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam. How's that for the blessing? <laughs> he makes this big promise to him. So Jeroboam's got his eyes wide open. How is this going to happen? And the next thing that happens is the current king says, I'm going to slit your throat. Like, I'm going to kill you. And the interesting part of this is, is Solomon knew that it was coming. Because Solomon, as he got older, he began to turn his heart from God. He began to, to walk in the ways of some of the foreign nations. He began to marry some of these uh, women from other nations, and they began to bring in their, their gods. And Solomon didn't do away with them. He began to condone worship to them and even built altars to them. Solomon didn't always start out that way. If you remember the story, man, Solomon loved God, and God visited Solomon and, and made him the wisest, wealthiest king on the planet. You remember that? But as he got older, he began to turn away from God. And, and God says, Solomon, because you've done this, I'm going to rip the kingdom out of your hands. I'm going to rip it out of your hands, and I'm going to give it to your servant. And that's what God told Solomon. Now, this is, a, this is a huge deal because you didn't give the kingdom, if you were the king, you didn't give it to a servant. You gave it to your son. You, you gave it to your posterity, your kids, the, the lineage and your name meant so much. And so you didn't give it to a servant. You wanted sons. You wanted your name to carry on. And so when God said, I'm going to rip it out of your hands and give it to a servant, that was a big, big deal. And so fast forward all these years later, Solomon hears that the man of God has spoken to Jeroboam, and he's, God's going to give Jeroboam the kingdom, and Solomon hears about it, and Solomon tries to kill him. So what do you think that was like for Jeroboam? He heard a promise from God. But he opens his eyes, and what's in front of him looks absolutely nothing like the promise. And instead of moving into the kingdom, he flees to Egypt. Did you know that when God makes you a promise, it's not always smooth sailing from there? In fact, some of you today are, are waiting on a promise that God made, and you know that God has made you the promise. You can see it in your spirit, and you're having to believe in something that you don't see yet, but because God said it, you believe it. And it's hard, and it's difficult. Jeroboam had to believe it fleeing for his life. And maybe today you're praying for uh, a child to come to Christ, or you're praying for your grandkids to come to Christ, or maybe you're praying for a spouse, or you're praying for a family to be restored, or you're praying for something at work, and you know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, nothing can separate me from the blessings that I know that God has promised to me, but what I'm seeing in front of me right now isn't what God promised, and I'm having to walk in faith. Did you know that God is honored by the faith that you have? And even though Jeroboam couldn't see it, because God said it, it will come to pass. And I'm here today to tell you that you may be waiting on a promise from God, but it doesn't look like it now. But hold fast, because God's promises will come true, because he is faithful, and he is just, and he, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
Some of you today have, have walked through that hard time, and you know what God has promised, but you're getting tired, and you're getting weary, and you're getting weak. And, and, and you know, we're, we're, you're tempted to look at God and say something like, Lord, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Can I just tell you that God is, is not just cheering you on from heaven, but he is right there with you, and he has a purpose for you, right there where you are. In fact, a lot of times, what I've learned is that when God makes this big promise to you, when he makes a, a promise that is going to fill your life with so much joy, he will often walk you through a difficult time to shape you into the kind of person it's going to take to be able to hold the blessings and treat them well when you get out on the other side of it. Isn't that something? Well, God, you already said it. Aren't I ready now? How many of you remember taking trips with kids and they sit in the back and after about 10 minutes on a four-hour trip, they start asking what? Well, that's you. <laughs> and me. I told you I was stepping on my own toes. God forbid we go through anything that we can actually learn from. I mean, God's making this promise to you, and he's saying, you know, the blessing is on the way. I am going to walk you through a season of life that you're the best you possible to be able to receive the blessing that I have for you. You go to a job. Well, everybody knows you're going to get trained. I mean, can you imagine going, uh, you know what, I don't need the training. I just want you to put me into the job. In fact, you told me that there was like this stair-step thing where I could be a manager one day. I don't need any of the years of experience. I don't need the training. Just go ahead and put me in the, in the top spot there with the paycheck. You know how absurd that sounds? That's the exact same thing that happens when God makes the promises in our lives, which, by the way, are a whole lot more permanent than a paycheck or a job. And he's saying, I love you so much. I want to walk with you. I, I want to walk with you so that you can hold that blessing. And not only that, but as we walk together, you're going to draw closer to me than you've ever been before. And I'm going to draw closer to you than you've ever known before. And you're going to have more faith in me and more trust in me. And I'm, I'm going to make you more capable to show the world how great my name is. And I'm, and I'm going to make you the, the, the most joyful person on the planet, even though you may be walking through a hard time. He wants to shape you. He wants to draw close to you. He wants to be intimate with you. Why would we miss out on that? And so Jeroboam, he, he's got this promise, and he, he flees to Egypt knowing that God said he'd be king. How many nights do you think he's laid in bed and looked up and went, God, why? why? I'm, you told me I was going to be king, and now I'm not even in my native land. I'm in another, I'm in another country. When are you going to do what you would say, what, what you said? And so fast forward through some time, Solomon dies, the, the king, he's, he's gone, and his son Rehoboam succeeds him as king. And Jeroboam hears, hey, Solomon, the guy who was trying to kill you, is, he's dead, and so he comes back to Israel. And he's probably thinking, God, you said I'd be king over ten of these tribes, the northern ten tribes, but now I'm back and Rehoboam's king, and you said I was going to be king after Solomon. You were going to rip it away from him, and you were going to give it to me, but I'm looking over here, and that's not what's happening, and Rehoboam's king, and I'm not king, and what am I supposed to do now? Do I go home? Do I go to the palace? What do I do? And I'm confused, and, and, and that's how we get in life. We're like, God, you said, but I don't know how, and this is not what it looks like. You know that God works in the details? it's really amazing because a lot of times we say, Lord, with your power and my plan, we can make this happen. But what God says is, no, with my power and my plan, and you be quiet and follow me, I'll make this happen. And God wants to do something amazing in your life. And, and Jeroboam, I'm sure, was tempted to say, what's going on here? So the ten tribes, the northern ten tribes, they're, they're sort of frustrated from everything that Solomon put on them, taxes and heavy labor laws and, 
and they go to Jeroboam, because remember, Jeroboam was a man of standing. Everybody knew Jeroboam, and they said, we're going to go to this, this new king, Rehoboam, and we're going to ask him to lessen the hardships on us that Solomon put on us. And Jeroboam, we want you to be our spokesperson. And I'm sure Jeroboam was like, yes, I've been dying <laughs> waiting for this to happen. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But nonetheless, they go to Rehoboam, this new king, Solomon's son, and they say, your father Solomon put hard tax laws on us, hard labor laws on us, and, and he made it very difficult for us. Would you lessen that for us? What are you going to do, Rehoboam? And the long and the short of it is Rehoboam leaves, and he comes back, and he says, you know what? Not only am I not going to do what my father did, I'm actually going to make it worse for you. I'm going to go the other way. My father made it difficult. I'm going to make it even more difficult. My father did this. I'm going to go further to the end and make it, make it a whole lot more difficult on you, a whole lot more difficult on your families. And so the long and the short of it, the ten tribes said, deuces, we're out. Like, we're done. Like, we're done with you, Rehoboam. You're no longer our king. We are seceding from the, the union, right? And, and they, they went back north, and they said, we're going to make Jeroboam our king. Now, do you think in a million years that that's the way Jeroboam would have thought that would win? God works in the details you didn't see coming. He, he, he does things that you can't see happening because our eyes don't see the way God sees. That's why the Bible says that his ways are not our ways. And that can even sound like a cliche. Oh, but by the time God comes into your life and comes out of left field with a blessing that you never saw coming, hallelujah, we praise the Lord for the, for the way he does it. The, the word says that we can't begin to fathom the depths of his wisdom and knowledge. And oh, thank God that he usurps my teeny bit of wisdom and what I think is knowledge. And he overshadows me with his love and his wisdom and brings it to pass. And so the ten tribes make Jeroboam king. And you would think, man, well, to be sure, everybody would know now that this is God's blessing. And, and to be sure that, that no one would buck this. This is God, right? And so... Rehoboam is probably just going to go back to the palace and say, man, it was a good run while it lasted. Congratulations, Jeroboam. We'll go back and figure out what we can do with what we have left, the two tribes we have left. No, he, he goes back and rallies 180,000 warriors and says, we're going to war with these creeps. Like, we're, they can't just come down here and do this. My dad's Solomon. His dad was David. Like, we're not, we're not going to, we're going to war. And so they rally the troops. Can you imagine what Jeroboam was thinking then? Because, oh, God promised the blessing to be sure it's going to be smooth sailing after I've spent all that time in Egypt. Like, come on. What does he do? Well, the word says they begin to line up for war. And then 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 24, this man of God comes to Rehoboam, comes to the king with his 180,000 warriors. And he says, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you. Doesn't that sound like a parent coming out on the porch and scattering kids after they left their crap all over the yard? He said, but this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord, and they went home. <laughs> they just left. They, they go home as the Lord had ordered. And after this, you've got to be thinking, man, Jeroboam's going, okay, God, is there anything left in your bag of tricks that you're going to throw my way? I mean, if, if there was any doubt that the blessing that God promised was coming to pass, to be sure by now, the doubt was gone. God has blessed him. He's king, and the enemy has, has kind of gone away. The waters are starting to calm, and that's what happened. And so they go back up north. They, they're up in the northern area of Israel in the hill country of Ephraim, and he begins to fortify a place for himself, a palace for himself. He lives there. He actually goes on the other side of the Jordan and fortifies another place just to kind of establish his kingdom on both sides of the great river. 
and he's there, and, and he begins to rule. Things are going good. Things are calm, and he's enjoying the blessings of God. And he's probably doing what we do whenever we get extremely blessed by God. We lay in bed at night, and we look up, and we just smile. Can't say anything because I don't have the words to describe how I feel about what you've done for me, God. Certainly don't deserve it. And then you get smiles even gets even bigger. And you pray to God like somebody doesn't turn on the light and see you sitting there in the dark smiling. Because that would be weird. And he's there, but it's just like in our lives when the water's calm, we're experiencing the blessings of God. And because we're human beings and we're not perfect, something happens. A thought comes in our mind. Or a circumstance pops up. And we see what, what God has done. We've watched him walk us all that way. But we've sort of gotten over the feelings of it. And maybe a person comes in to our lives. Or, or something happens. And we begin to doubt. You know, even though the ten tribes, they said they were done with Rehoboam. They didn't say they were done with God. And Jerusalem is where Rehoboam ruled. And the temple of God was in Jerusalem, which is where everybody came to worship. And so they were going to go back to Jerusalem to worship. That was normal. And in verse 26, look at what it says. It says, Jeroboam thought to himself. He gets this thought. He gets this thing going in his mind. And for whatever reason, he can't let it go. It says the kingdom will now likely revert back to the house of David. This is a thought that is going on in his mind. This is Rehoboam's grandfather, David. If these people go and offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they'll, they'll kill me, and they'll return back to Rehoboam. I don't blame him for having thoughts, but that ain't nothing like what God said. I mean, God made this promise, and he said, if you, I will. If you do these things and walk in my ways, then I will be with you, and I will build you a, a reign that is enduring is what I promised to my servant David. But Jeroboam has this thought. He's thinking to himself, oh, well, if everyone goes back to Jerusalem to worship, they probably will forget that they live here, and I'm their king, and then they'll, they'll give their allegiance back to Rehoboam because they'll see the temple and all its beauty, and then they'll kill me. What God said versus what I think is sometimes complete opposite. Somebody say yes. You can't stop every thought from going into your mind, but you can stop what plants there. You can stop, you can, you can certainly control what you entertain. You ever heard of the, the old expression that said you can't stop every bird from flying over your head, but you can stop the ones from building a nest in your hair? Yeah. It, it, he thought to himself. How important is it that we, we do this? Here's the first principle, that we guard our thought life. If you don't want to misplace the blessings of God in your life, because this is really where it started to go downhill for Jeroboam. This is where he started to misplace the blessings, to entertain thoughts and give into a certain way of thinking. It starts in the thoughts. You've got to guard your thought life because Satan is going to put thoughts in your head and, and you're just going to think thoughts all up by yourself because you're a human being and you're imperfect and this is earth and it's not, not heaven and you're going to have these thoughts. And what is our job to do when it comes to thoughts? Is to take them captive and say, okay, you know what? I've got about 15 seconds, psychologists say, to deal with this thought and put it in its proper place before then, if it goes much past that, I've got to deal with the thought and the emotion that comes with it. 
And so I, I choose in that 15, 20 seconds, I choose to take that doesn't line up with the word of God. Nope, not going to entertain that. Or maybe I have to go, I really feel something with that, but I'm going to believe what God said and not what's going on in my thought life. I believe the word of God because you cannot let a temporary thought combat the permanent word of God that he's already spoken over your life. We, we give up an eternal blessing because we are entertaining a temporal thought. When a thought comes into your, into your mind, you, the first thing you need to be able to say is, does that line up with what God said? Does that line up with what God's word says about me? Does that line up with the promise that God made for me? And if it doesn't, then throw it away. I don't care if it seems viable. I don't care if it feels like, hey, I should probably give this some thought. If it doesn't line up with what God said, dismiss it. Jeroboam thought to himself. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He's talking to us. He says, yeah, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to, can you, can you see that word? It says think. Say think. They didn't worship God. They didn't even give him thanks. And here's why. They begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Do you know the thoughts that you entertain determine your behavior? And your behavior determines the course of your life. You entertain something long enough, you're going to end up doing it. You'll become that. You think a certain way, that's the way that you'll act. And, and, and you've got to ask yourself, is the, are these thoughts lining up with God's word? Or are they lining up with my worry? What thoughts are you entertaining today? What, what are you worrying about right now? And yet the thoughts are coming in your mind and you're sort of hanging on them and they're spinning in your head. Do they line up with God's word? Let me ask a little, this is really a big question. Get ready. Have you spent enough time in God's word to even know the difference? God wants you to rely on and think and dwell on things that are holy and things that are good and things that are worthy, and they're all in his word. Here's the fix. Paul says a few chapters later in verse 6. He says, letting the spirit control your mind, that leads to life and peace. He's like, man, these other people, they, their minds were darkened because they were thinking up foolish ideas about what God was like. But if you let the Spirit control your mind, the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, reminds you of God's word, he said it'll lead to life and peace. Jeroboam didn't guard his thoughts, and his thoughts eventually led to his behavior. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. So he's got this stupid thought that they're going to go back to Jerusalem and forget me and kill me and start... Uh, going back to Rehoboam and making him their king. So after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, hey, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. So here are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up at Bethel, and the other he set up in Dan. He said after seeking advice, he did this. He had the thought. He didn't guard his thought life. But then he started to rally around an injustice gathering around him. And he sought advice from some really stupid people and set up these golden calves and said, you can worship them. These are the ones that, that did all these miracles for you in the past. It's too much for you to go to Jerusalem and worship. We'll just stay here and camp out, and we'll worship here. So here's a second principle. Guard your influences. Guard your influences because your thought life, if you dwell on thoughts long enough, that will determine your behavior, and you'll eventually go out to, to find people that tell you what you want to hear. And he didn't guard his influence, so they told him. But my question is, who was he talking to? 
Who was he talking to that said, you know what? We've seen all that God has done, but he's probably not going to be able to handle the obstacle that you're talking about, Jeroboam. If they go down to Jerusalem, he's probably not going to be able to establish you like he said. So the only option that I can see, you correct me if I'm wrong, is to make two golden calves. And let's worship them because, man, that happened long ago with Moses and Aaron, and it turned out so well. You remember the story? So, so I think we should do the same thing here. You know, who was he talking to that said that? And my question to you is, who are you seeking advice from? In your own life, you're trying to, to find another job, or you're trying to quit one before you even have another job lined up. Or, or you're thinking about leaving your family because they're not perfect. Ding dong, nobody is. I mean, we, we think all these things. There was one guy that told me one time that he convinced himself uh, after needing new tires that it was probably a good idea just to go ahead and finance another vehicle altogether because he needed tires. I mean, you can convince yourself of anything you want to convince yourself of if you dwell on the thought long enough. Somebody say amen. Who are you getting advice from that will convince you of these things? You know, let me tell you the soft truth. Some of us are, are trying to make life-altering decisions, life decisions, and, and we're going to Facebook and polling Facebook. Now, I'm not saying that there's not some good, well-intended people out there, but the institution of Facebook has never said that you will never be separated from its love. That's a promise that Facebook has never made. You know who made that promise? God in his word. So why not go to his word? Why not find people in your life in small circles that are their lives are lined up with the word of God? Not people that say one thing, but yet they're out doing something else, and their life isn't producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, joy and peace and patience and kindness and brotherly kindness. They're, they're, they're not doing that. I mean, would you take advice financially from your broke uncle? If he's sitting beside you, just look at me. Don't look at him. Probably not. So why would we ever take advice from someone in our lives that their lives aren't even lining up with the Word of God? In our Christian life, we're trying to make decisions. Shouldn't we go to people that believe the same way we do? And not just say they do, but their, their lives are actually producing something that looks like God's word? Who are you taking advice from? Jeroboam took advice from some pretty stupid people. And this was the result in verse 30. It says, and this thing became a sin. And people did it. People began to come to worship the, the calf, the one at Bethel, and they went as far as to Dan to worship the other one. Because even though Jeroboam made the big mistake, it wasn't just Jeroboam, was it? It was also the people that were following him that he had influence in that were becoming destitute because of his decisions. And did you know that when, you're, when your life doesn't line up with the goodness that God has shown you, when you misplace the blessings of God in your life, not only can you turn from him, but it becomes possible for every person that you have influence in to turn from him too. And I think the biggest lie that we can tell ourselves is that this, this thing is only going to affect me. It's not going to affect my kids. You can lie to yourself and tell you all day long. It's not going to. Let me tell you, your life has hearers. Your life has influence into other people. Some of them you see every single day. Other people that are going to watch you that God puts in your life that you'll never even know. Some people will come to you, and you'll know that you have influence in their lives. Others will just watch you. Maybe it's people you work with that they know you're a Christian, or maybe it's people maybe in this very room that are on the fringes, and they haven't, they haven't crossed that line of faith yet, and they're checking it out. But they're watching you, and they'll never come to you. But they know. 
They're watching. They see. And Jeroboam's life didn't line up with God's word. Jeroboam's blessings, he misplaced them. And not only did it become a sin for him, but he led other people to do the same. Guard your influences. Guard your thought life. Look at Psalm 1-1. This is what the Bible says in contrast. It says, all the joys of those who don't follow evil men's advice, who don't hang around with sinners and scoffing at the things of God. And we can read that verse and we think about, oh man, all those people scoffing at the word of God and oh, those sinners, man, we don't want to stay away from them. But look at that first part. It says, all the joys, all the joy of people who are surrounding themselves with the right crowd, surrounding themselves with the right advice, putting people in their lives that can keep them in check and, and maybe, maybe I can keep that other person in check. There's this, there's this give and take from having the right kind of people in your life that'll keep you lined up with God's word if you'll let it. Who are you letting in your life to seek advice from? You know, things got complicated for Jeroboam. I'd like to say that, you know, his story ended up good because that's what every sermon's supposed to do, right? Bring it back around and make it a positive ending. Well, for Jeroboam, it didn't. In fact, he, he went so far and he had to make the choice for himself, but he went so far, he never, he never came back to God. At least not as far as the, the word tells us. He doesn't have a happy ending. But that doesn't mean you don't. That doesn't mean you don't have to. That doesn't mean right here and now we can't take us inventory and be self-aware of ourselves, which is one of the greatest gifts you could ever give, and say, what am I doing with God? What am I doing with the blessings that he's poured into my life? What, how, how am I walking when it comes to how much he's blessed me? I asked you a question at the beginning, and I, I just want to ask you one more time. How important is it that we treat the blessings of God well? How important is it that we, we understand what we have in Christ Jesus? First of all, salvation. That our sins have been forgiven because of his shed blood on the cross. And then heaven is a reality. I know somebody at Goldsboro right now who is, their, their, their loved one is getting ready to pass away. It's almost, unless God does something, and we believe he can, they, they could pass away this week. And oh, thank God that he can grieve with hope, knowing that heaven is a reality. How important is it that we know that in our hearts for all those who have gone on before in your life and in mine, and we can say, thank you, Jesus, that this life isn't the end. So I want to walk in such a way that is in gratitude and in thankfulness because of what you were so faithful to do in my life. Am I talking to anybody today? Are we treating the blessings of God well? Because some of us have been given wonderful blessings. Some of us have been given blessings here on earth. Maybe you have affluence and you have financial wealth. Are you being obedient with what God's word says about finances? I mean, are you, are you being obedient with the most basic principle of, of finances, with tithing? That's just a basic principle when it comes to God's word. What about being generous? Because we can easily say, well, I don't, I don't know if I, if I can be generous, you know. I don't know if I can, if I can do that. Look, this is not a question of whether God's word says it. It's a matter of are you pliable? Are you treating the blessing that God has given you well? Some of you have been given the blessing of, of kids, grandkids. And some of you parents with small kids, you're like, well, some days it's a blessing, but not today. You should have seen us getting ready for church. Look, I'm, I, I know we all have those days, but we all know it's a blessing from the Lord to have children. His word says it. And we know when we lay down at night or when we watch them when they sleep, man, that's such a blessing. 
But are we treating that blessing well? Are we, are we walking with the Lord? Are we raising them up in a way that's God-honoring? Are we teaching them the Word of God? Do what they see match up with what we do and say? What we say. Does it line up with what we do? Are they seeing it actually happen? Some of you have been blessed with, with a husband or a wife, and maybe they're sitting with you today. Are, are you treating that blessing well? Man, we're not perfect in life, are we? But the Bible says, wives, honor your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Get this. It doesn't stop there because it goes a little further with the husbands because God expects more. He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know that Christ loved the church so much he died for it? Are you honoring your husbands? Husbands, are you, are you lining up your life in such a way that, that loves your wife so much that you would die for it? And she knows it, which, by the way, makes her want to honor you even more. Are you treating that blessing well? There's so many other ways that, that God blesses us. Man, thousands of ways we could probably just, probably just think of. But are you, are you treating the blessings well that God has poured into your life? It's going to come down to the thoughts you entertain and the advice you listen to. That's it. And ultimately, Proverbs 10.22 is true, and I'm closing. It says, God's blessings, man, they make life rich. That word there means that He grows, man. He blooms you. He moves you forward. That's what your life does when God begins to bless. And it says, and nothing we can do can improve on God. Hear this. He says, AKA, there is not a thought you could think. There's not a word of advice that you could get that's outside of God's word that is going to do better than what God wants to do in your life. God is a giver. God is a blesser. He wants to bless your socks off. But he says, if you, then I will. Maybe you're here today and you're going, hey, I want some of that. I want to know those kinds of blessings. And maybe you haven't given your life to God. And I just want to tell you, man, the, the greatest blessing isn't found here on this earth. The greatest blessing is in eternity. Maybe the second best one is knowing right here where you're going to spend it. And maybe today you say, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. Let me go ahead and just clue you in. The Bible says that the only way to God, who, by the way, is perfect, and none of us are, is through a perfect son named Jesus Christ. There is not a bit of good effort you can do. There is not a, uh, a status that you can make. There is not a number of times that you can sit in this church building and earn the worthiness of a perfect God and a perfect heaven. And one day you're going to stand before him. One day you will. There are statistics that say none of us get out of this life alive. <laughs> we, we're, all gonna, we're all headed there. You can't stand before a perfect God and a perfect heaven and be imperfect and try to get in. It just won't happen. But the Bible says that God gave his only son that whoever believes in him and puts their faith in him, that's, that's who's going to have everlasting life with God in eternity. In fact, Romans 8.32 says it like this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a promise that we have, but we got to put our faith in him and believe him. And I just wonder how many of you are searching for blessings here. And, and we should, but the very first blessing you need to see is understanding where you're going to spend eternity because of that verse right there. So I just want to say a prayer over you. I want to say uh, a prayer in two different ways. One, for those of you who are who are waiting for the blessing of God and, and you're treating God's blessings well, and maybe for others of you who, who need to treat the blessings of God well, and we need to kind of come back to where God has called us. 
And then I want to say a prayer for those of you who want to accept Christ as your Savior today, as your Lord. Can we do that? Come on, let's, let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, you're looking over this room and those watching online right now. Lord, and you know every single thing that we're walking through. Lord, you know every single step that we've taken. Some of us, you know every single tear we've cried. You know every, every second we spent in the hardship that we're in. And I just pray a prayer right now of encouragement, Lord, and blessing and joy through the power of your Holy Spirit over each one. Lord, your word says in James that, that consider it pure joy when we go through these kinds of trials because it's producing something in us. I pray right now that we'd remember what you're producing and not just the pain of what we see. In Jesus' name. Lord, those of us who need to come back to you, Father, because we're not treating the blessings that you've given us very well. In fact, we, we've done poorly at it. I'm so grateful for your grace, God, that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. And so we come to you right now and just say, Lord, forgive us. Maybe that's you. You just want to say it. God, forgive me. I want to walk worthy of the calling that I've received. I want to treat your blessings well in my life. Help me, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those of us here that, that don't know you personally, they haven't put their faith in you. And if that's you right now, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. You know exactly who you are because you feel that, that lump in your, in your chest right now. That's God speaking to you, and he knows your name. And maybe you just pray this prayer with me. Maybe just repeat this after me and mean it in your heart. God, I need you. I can't live this life without you, not in the way you want me to. I need you, and I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for me. He was perfect in my place, so I don't have to be that he really shed his blood, he really died, and he really rose from the grave. And because he got up, I can get up too. And I believe heaven is waiting for me because I'm putting my faith in him and what he did for me. I'm not perfect, I'll never be this side of heaven, but I make this promise to you and to myself, I wanna live for you, and so I aim my heart at you, and I trust you, and put my faith in you, and give you the authority in my life. And I, I know that I'll end up at the exact places at the exact times that I need to and one day stand before you at the end of this life and you'll see me as worthy because of what your son did on the cross. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Can we say amen together? Come on, can we just take five seconds and give it up for those who said yes to Jesus for the very first time? Come on, heaven's having a party. Let's have one right here. Thank you, Jesus.